none, including livestock in the arable rotation, helped to control the scourge of blackgrass. Making use of grass and grazing it is a very effective way of dealing with it, and then moving land back into arable production after that. Last year's Open Farm Sunday was a cutback affair, but still successful. Tomorrow sees the launch of this year's day to connect producers and the public. Open Farm Sunday is just a hugely powerful way of connecting people with farming, of sharing the farming story. We'll also talk sugar beet, get the livestock and grain market reports and welcome Sean Sparling back with agronomy and feedback from the AICC conference held last week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you had a good week. I'm Steve Orchard. DEFRA has granted an emergency authorisation for the use of neonicotinoids on the 2022 sugar beet crop. We'll hear more on this from Sean Sparling in a while, but now to give us an update on the current campaign, good morning to British Sugar's Tessa Seymour. Morning, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, and you? Good, thank you. Good, good, good. How's the campaign going then? A difficult start. Are things back to normal, back up to date? Well, the factory has had a difficult start and unfortunately um, it feels that we've just have been hit by continuous issues at the factory. Uh, We had a um, power outage um, earlier this week as well. So it it has been continuous. Um, The team has worked tirelessly to continue to rectify any issues as they come through. And they've done a great job, but we are going to be really pushing. We're confident that we've got some really good maintenance plans. Last year, we had the the factory run really well. This year, with some upgrades, we've we've had quite a few teething issues and then knock-on effects after that. So we'll have a a very rigorous plan, which we're happy to share with anyone on what we're doing as a factory, just to give confidence, because our plan is for next year to have a smooth running factory again. Yeah, we need it. Uh, but, we, you know, the crop's still doing really well. We're still looking at a campaign end date um, of around the end of March. As we get closer, we'll communicate um, firmer dates. OK. And how's quantity, quality, dirt and sugar? Good. So our sugar's still um, in the 17 ranges, um, so that's fantastic. We're still looking at really good crop yields across all of the growing area, actually, especially in comparison to last year. Our dirt tones are still quite low. Slight increase in the last week, but that's expected with weather but at the moment everything's looking good so fingers crossed the weather continues to be in our favor and um we'll finish the campaign nicely well uh, i hope you get everything sorted out with the factory um end of march Thank you me. say as the uh, as the end date and uh, let's hope we end up with uh, a successful campaign despite the hiccups most definitely. Thank you so much. The application window for the Improving Farm Productivity theme of the Farming Investment Fund has now opened. This is the latest instalment of the fund which opened in November. Grants ranging from £35,000 are available to invest in new equipment, such as automated milking systems and automated tractors. Basically, it's for new equipment and infrastructure to improve efficiency. There's details on the DEFRA website. Growers are being urged to complete a seasonal workers pilot SWP scheme survey and the responses will be used to help lobby the government to extend it. It recently announced that the SWP migrant labour scheme would keep the number of visas available for 2022 at 30,000 with the potential to increase to 40,000. However, it was revealed that from 2023 this number would start reducing despite farming industry groups asking for the number of seasonal visas available to the UK in 2022 to be extended to over 55,000. The NFU in Scotland said the SWP was an essential route to get the workers needed for the fruit, veg and ornamental sectors. You can complete the survey wherever you are in the UK on the NFU Scotland website. 
One of the highlights of the year in connecting farmers and the public is Open Farm Sunday. Last year's was cut back inevitably due to Covid, but still successful. This year's launch is tomorrow. Annabelle Shackleton is Open Farm Sunday manager at LEAF. Good morning, Annabelle. Are we back to normal this year? Absolutely. We are back for another year, which is fantastic. We know from last year that if COVID does rear its ugly head, we can cope. You know, we had lots of successful events that took place. So, yeah, we're all systems moving forwards and and looking forward to a great Open Farm Sunday on the 12th of June. Brilliant news. Annabelle, for those who've not been involved in Open Farm Sunday who might not know much about it, just give us a quick pricey as to what's involved and what's the reasoning behind having it? All the uh, research that we do shows that Open Farm Sunday is just a hugely powerful way of connecting people with farming, of sharing the farming story, and it really does have a positive impact. We're asking farmers across the country to open their gates to the public um, and to welcome them onto the farm. And But the main thing is, is that key message that it's down to the farmer to organise what they're comfortable in doing. It's their event, you know, it's your story, your chance to share what you do on your farm with the public. So if a farmer just wants to invite local villagers for a farm walk, that's absolutely fine and has just as much impact to a, a farmer who is actually happy to open up the farm for an afternoon or the whole day. But the message really there is to educate might be overstating it but certainly to inform the non-farming public where food comes from how it's produced and maybe dispel some of the misinformation most definitely most definitely and we've all seen through lockdown that there's been so many more people out in the countryside walking the footpaths they don't understand the science and technology involved in farming and it's just an opportunity for farmers to share what they love with the public. And LEAF can help if a farmer's a bit unsure as to where to start with this for the first time, LEAF can help. Absolutely. We have a team of Open Farm Sunday ambassadors in the Lincolnshire area. We have Andy Guy. We're at the end of the telephone. We're at the end of emails. We have an information pack on our website for farmers who are thinking of taking part for the first time this year. Then every farmer gets a handbook, posters that people can use, digital assets for social media, and just lots of hints and tips to help people in planning an event and then actually running the event. The website is the hub of everything. So it's farmsunday.org. And if people go on there, please register your event there. That's the most important thing. And then once registered, we we have lots of help and support available. And this year, we're running some new podcasts and another series of Zoom events so that we can put farmers in touch. Farmers can listen to other farmers who've hosted events and share experiences. And the first Zoom is on the 3rd of February. And the day itself is Sunday, the 12th of June. Annabel Shackleton, Open Farm Sunday Manager at LEAF. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good luck. Let's hope it's a hugely successful Open Farm Sunday. Lovely. Thank you so much for your support. Time to welcome back our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, after a festive break and then a week with no voice. Agronomy first, if you will, Sean. Then your thoughts on last week's Association of Independent Crop Consultants Conference. Morning, Sean. Welcome back. 
Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Long time no speak, isn't it? Quite literally last week with no voice to speak with. Anyway, it's back now. I've been out wandering about in some of my crops. They're doing pretty well from what I'm seeing in general. A few slugs about with it being so mild over the Christmas period, so do be alert to them. Although these cold nights will send them down the profile again. It's not been anywhere near cold enough, though, to kill aphids yet. And remember, we need minus six or colder to even start to think about killing them. And with minus two being about as cold as it's been so far they'll just be laughing at us from wherever they may be and while we're talking about aphids and the cold weather obviously we now have the potential for a derogation for the neonicotinoids for use on sugar beets should we not get it cold enough over the next couple of months for the bbro forecast and it's now a national temperature assessment, not a regional one. In fact, I think there's only one site where they actually test and record the temperatures now. What they're looking at is a 19% projected national crop damage threshold. The risk is 19% to the crop, as opposed to what we had last year, which was a 9% risk threshold. Now, to put it in perspective, 19% risk has only been met four times in the last 57 years. Since 1965, it happened in 1974, 1975, 1990 and 2020. And we all remember what Harvest 2020 was like with sugar beets. So it's not likely to be reached on the balance of probability. We just have to pray for that hard winter. In fact, if you remember the first year we had without neonic seed treatments, it was a very hard winter, 2019. And there was an aphid incidence in the growing crop of 1.8%. And as we can remember, very little visible virus out there. 2020, though, there was an aphid incidence of 38%. And it was the worst virus incident since those 1970s. And that meant a reduction of about 43 million quid in the value of the sugar beet crop. To put it in perspective, less than 7% aphid incidence would mean no economic benefit from putting a neonic on the seed. It would actually cost more to coat the seed than it would save. So if neonicotinoids do go on, however, there is now a 32-month restriction on planting flowering crops after its use. It was 22 months last year. Now, that means oilseed rape, peas, sunflowers, clover, beans, linseed, poppies, anything you can imagine that flowers, buckwheat, phacelia, vetches. So if you plant a neonicotinoid in April 2022 on the sugar beet seed, can't put any flowering crops in the ground before January 2025 that's worth thinking about so we need to watch this space and as i say get on your knees and pray for a hard couple of months from now to the 28th of february oh and you've got until a week on monday week tomorrow to get your propizomide on because the 31st of january is looming cabbage stem flea beetle levels seem relatively low though so it's not all doom and gloom let's see what the next seven days bring and you've had a few days out of the fields in the warmth of the aicc conference that's absolutely right, Steve. Yeah, three days of intense technical presentations. We have a trials team within the Association of Independent Crop Consultants spanning the UK, very, very broad-ranging independent trials from John O'Groats to Land's End, everything in between. And once again, they outdid themselves with the scale and the depth of the data they've produced in the last 12 months. And that data really does give me as a member a huge advantage on farm. It's accurate, relevant, wholly reliable for me while I make those decisions 
games going through the season and it absolutely is a highlight of mine and every other AICC members conference it's never a question of what data they put into the trial sessions it's always about what they have to leave out and we were all very aware in AICC of the new direction of travel in UK farming following Brexit the removal of farm support payments a new green agenda etc so therefore the conference agenda was built to address all of those issues so we had a fascinating session listening to Hilton Murray Philipson from the Blaston estate talking about how he along with Charlotte and the rest of the team at Indigro have embraced regenerative agriculture at Blaston and how they did it Alistair Leake as well talking about all things at the Allerton project and the practical applications of their work for the wider industry a fascinating session looking at the holistic approach to modern farming we as the AICC and the independent sector have been promoting this true hybrid of organic, conventional and IPM-based farming for many, many years. Regenerative agriculture is now the accepted name of all of that and we embrace those principles fully. We always have done and we're more committed now than ever because a holistic approach is what we as independents provide. Every tool is available, every tool is utilised, cultural, IPM, ICM, IFM, organic, cover crops, catch crops, trap crops, green manures, plant protection products, all of those things have a part to play, but it's most importantly the mentality of those people recommending and then implementing those tools, which counts most. That's how it should be, and that's how the whole AICC and independent uh, approach is structured, really. It's one of those things where you've got to be all in with IPM, and it's a little bit the same with regen and carbon management. But with all that in mind, we also had a day looking at various decision support tools and carbon data collation and calculation programs all giving our members the tools they and their growers need to manage carbon as what is now a technically a crop. I mean, it has a mass, a value. It's vital to the survival of farm businesses. So it needs to be fully understood. Day two, we tailored to addressing all the issues in the current market with regards to nitrogen and general nutrition with prices of ammonium nitrate happily clearing 650 quid a ton for ammonium nitrate we wanted to look at dose rates the agronomic and economic impact of reducing nitrogen doses in particular to try and offset or mitigate these price hikes and we also looked at alternative sources of nitrogen and alternative sources of general nutrition but as always whether organic or manufactured sources of nitrogen and fertilizer applied it's the efficiency of the application which is the key to the success or the failure so the presentation from the environment agency was particularly pertinent we'd a session tailored to update our members on the environmental policy changes so elms and stewardship schemes the allerton project came to talk about how elms and countryside stewardship schemes together have affected the farming down there at Loddington which we can apply to all of our farms and it's a fascinating subject in itself. We also had Professor Mark Stevens from BBRO. He gave us the most current update on the sugar beet situation. And then on day three, which we decided to build around all of the complexities of carbon management, carbon farming, with a focus on managing the carbon down at farm level, covering climate change, climate action, carbon counting tools, and the impact and the practical applications and implications of managing carbon at farm level. 
all chaired by one of the best exponents in UK farming, Jake Freestone from Overbury Farms. We had farmer John Miller from Newark talking about his farm level experiences of carbon management too. And then in the last session of the conference, we talked about the future of sustainable food production. Sustainability has always been of key importance in farming. Farmers have to be able to remain viable from both a financial and an environmental standpoint, and they have to be profitable and cost efficient in order to remain sustainable. So our advice as AICC members is purely focused on ensuring our clients' farms tick all of those boxes, the environmental, IPM, water protection, plant protection, biodiversity protection, carbon management, margin protection, and to be able to point growers towards the options they need for calculating, managing and monitoring their carbon. That's our job. We only have those targets to concentrate on. We're eco-agronomists in the independent advice sector, and we always will be. And the question all growers need to ask themselves when they get up in the morning is, am I an emitter or am I a sequesterer? And knowing where you are is a blooming good place to start. So we had everybody from Sadita Helm, Professor of Economic Policy at Oxford, to Tim Peake, the astronaut, talking to us about his life and work at the International Space Station. A productive, informative, thought-provoking, engaging, utterly enjoyable three days. I'm absolutely shattered. Marvellous. Take the weekend off. Thanks as ever, Sean Sparling, Sparling Agronomy Services. Black grass is, as we know, a pain in the backside of the arable farmer. With chemical control ever more controlled, is there an alternative? What about including livestock in the rotation? John Charlton is Regional Manager at Grass Breeders and Producers, Barenberg. Chemical control is becoming more limited. Looking at the bigger picture in terms of what can be done, grass fits in there nicely. Making use of grass and grazing it is a very effective way of dealing with it and then moving land back into our own production after that. So we're talking about planting grass for a year, putting livestock onto that grassland and then back to arable again. It would probably need to be a little bit more than a year. Two years, three years would be would be preferential. But it's it's sort of rewriting, uh, rewriting the plan, if you like. Instead of continual arable, instead of cereal, cereal, oil seed, pulse maybe, all crops that are needing ad chem to control grass weeds we can control the grass weeds in grass easier by grazing okay so it's a classic kind of arable headache really isn't it to black grass is this kind of what a solution or is it just really part of an overall control strategy for it there isn't a one sort of solution if you like grassland in rotation will control up to i think it's 90 plus percent so it really does give it a good kick in and then along with other parts of the rotation it can really get control without a lot of expense Okay, and what about soil health generally? Using the right mixture, using something with a, a leguminous content, something that's going to fix nitrogen will help in the, the preceding crops to reduce nitrogen inputs. Again, that's the benefit of grass. There isn't an arable crop apart from pulses that have that effect. Are there any negatives to this? Apart from a few little anomalies in rotational issues, such as carryover of take-all in grass and, and, and things like that, by and large, no. The issues revolve around having some livestock on an arable unit. That's the, that's the difficult part, really. That's the bit that takes takes on getting around. There is other, other ways of using that crop. It could leave as a forage and go to, it could travel to livestock. Um, and potentially there's some market with the uh, AD markets as well for, for forages such as. So it isn't, it isn't strictly grazing. Grazing is preferential. And where could somebody find out more information about this kind of thing? Who should they talk to? The Farmers Weekly Transitional Programme, which we're part of, is going through a lot of these um, scenarios and questions. But Baron Brook themselves, 
we have a good grounding in grass and further understanding of it. After that, it's just there's starting to be a few grazing groups starting to pop up as well to try and tie up an arable guy and a, a sheep producer, a livestock producer to make this synergy work, which I think through the power of the internet should work quite well, really. It should be quite uh, quite useful. And if somebody wanted to speak to Barenberg, where would they go? If you find us on Twitter or find us by the uh, website, there's um, four regional managers across the UK and Ireland, and we're here to help with this sort of thing. There's a government push behind it, so it's it's funded through GS4 scheme in mid-level stewardship, so that is a route into it that could appeal for people. Farmers aren't necessarily having to do it off their own back. There is stewardship funding available. Right. Okay. John, thanks very much for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Cheers. To the market reports now, starting with Louth Livestock Market. Good morning, Oliver Chapman. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth. Started with the prime cattle, which sees steers top at 239 pence per kilo and gross 1,526 pounds for JS Brooks of Strubby, while the heifers topped at 262 pence per kilo and 1,333 pounds for Manby Farms Limited of Thorgnaby. And the prime bulls topped for John Thirlby of Kexby at 190 pence per kilo and 1,080 pounds. On to the cool cows, which saw C.A. Mottram and Sons of Colby top at 159 pence per kilo and 1,236 pounds. This week was store cattle week, which saw 73 on offer. Topping the steers were A.W. Lewis and Son at 1,040 pounds, while the heifers were topped by C.A. Oliver of Ashby by Partney at 1,035 pounds. On to the prime sheep, starting with the hogs, which saw an SQQ average of 263.5 pence per kilo, with a top for GW Allison of Thorsway with a pair of Bell Texas to £140. The pence per kilo was topped by Ben and Pippa Williams at 285 pence per kilo. Next to cool ewes saw 34 on offer to average all in £83.75, with a top for GW Allison of £128. Finally, store hogs, which saw a mixed show on offer, topping for M.A. Everard of Braytoft at £108 to leave an all-in average of £76.93. A huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Both prime and cool cattle and prime and cool sheep are required for tomorrow's market. Please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Mason's and Larith Market, and thank you. Many thanks, Oliver. And the grain markets with Open Fields Kit Dickinson now. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices have bounced back this week as the market reassessed some of the negative factors. Money managers had completed their rebalancing act and, in fact, were shorter of seabot wheat futures than the market had anticipated. Fears over Omicron's impact on demand had faded, as well as the spectre of military conflict between Russia and the Ukraine, and the potential of disruption of trade flows of grain from the region had appeared to be escalating. South American weather forecasts did deliver some rain, but there is much debate over which regions had it and whether it was enough, and would there be a follow-up crop-saving rain, bearing in mind there is a second consecutive La Nina event. With only 2% of the critically important Safrinha maize crop planted in Brazil, there is still a lot of weather to negotiate. It is probably fair to say that the Brazilian and Argentine soybean and maize estimates in this month's USDA report are already too high, with some analysts already dropping their forecasts. Fundamentally, not much has changed in the grain market. Globally, milling wheat stocks are still tight. Demand keeps coming forward. EU and Russian wheat export forecasts are 8 to 9 million metric tonne too high. And there will be no Brazilian new crop maize exports until July at the earliest. 
Rumours of China buying US maize yesterday, a return to the drier weather and South America and Putin playing his war games are all in the mix this week. We are still six to seven months away from the Northern Hemisphere harvest and in the meantime the market will be governed by perception, politics and fear. So looking at barley this week, 2021 crop, old crop malting barley prices remain under pressure with a free on board export value trading at £10 less in the last week. Closer to domestic maltings, prices are still relatively high and farmers are now selling the remaining malting barley. The differential between old and new crop malting prices is so great, circa £80 a tonne, that it is not worth taking the risk of losing a huge premium and holding it in the shed longer, especially with the risk of quality deterioration. But looking forward to new crop, the market is quiet with only the French and Denmark selling export malting barley. Despite the large differential between the old and new crop prices, the forward new crop prices in excess of £200 a tonne are record high figures. Regular spring malting barley growers should consider locking in a portion at this good budget figure. Looking at all seed rate this week, earlier in the week values saw a lack of direction from Chicago market, but was closed on Monday due to the US bank holiday. Since then, the market has continued to look for direction on old crop seed. However, some support has been coming forward from firmer prices from Chicago midweek and pressure from lower crude oil values. New crop oilseed rape continues to be well supported by demand and lack of sellers. Midweek saw Matif rapeseed rise by €13 on old crop and new crop bounced by €8 within two of contract highs, close to set in early November. Canadian canola figures also rallied sharply, but values remain well short of contract highs. So looking forward to prices this week. Wheat for January, 205 to 210. March, 214 to 220. And May, 216 to 223. November new crop is 188 to 193. And milling wheat premiums are currently £45. Feed barley for January is 200 to 208. March 208 to 215, May 210 to 217, and November new crop 170 to 176. Malting barley premiums are still good and are around £65 per tonne. Oil seed rate for January is 585 to 595, with very limited carry going all the way through to May at 585 to 598. New crop November, 475 to 485. Thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. High pressure dominates for most of the week, bringing low temperatures with dry, sunny conditions. A light southwesterly breeze today and tomorrow, clear with daytime highs of 7 and down to 1 Celsius overnight. The middle of the week sees some gustier winds, but still quite light and mostly westerly. A little warmer with highs on Wednesday of 10 Celsius and lows of 4 or 5. The wind a little brisker, still dry, sunny and cool for the end of the week. Quick congratulations to Louth Christmas Tractor Run organiser Taryn Lee and all who took part and helped raise a brilliant £5,101.99p for the Farm Safety Foundation's Mind Your Head campaign. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week's farming programme, have a good week.